You're listening to the sermon audio from Covenant Church at Tuscaloosa. Our prayers that this encourages you in the Lord. Well, good morning. How's everybody? My name's Hank Atchison. I'm one of the 37 pastors here at Covenant Church. If you know, you know. If, if your first time is this morning, you're probably like, what is he talking about? Well, we um, have started in this new facility. Thanks, huge thanks, first to the Lord, second to Big Sandy Baptist Church for their generosity um, in March. And what we decided to do in March was to take each Sunday of March and to go through our core values as a church. And what that means, this is the pastor's joke, is that a different elder had each Sunday. And so mission is what I was tasked with, and that's what we will go through today. But Dolan Davis, who's one of our elders, did Bible. Daniel Hester did prayer. Brad Jessen did discipleship. And I I know for some of you that aren't used to Covenant Church, you're like, who's the preacher? Where is he? Well, um, we, we do function as a Um, elder-led church, so I don't have more authority than anybody else. I I will say that I am what we would consider, and I don't even like saying this, but just for clarity, the lead teaching pastor. And so I do the majority of the preaching on Sunday mornings. However, we see great benefit to having plurality, not only in leadership, but also in the pulpit. And so it's, it's beneficial, even though if it doesn't feel it yet, it's beneficial to the congregation. It's beneficial to the pastors when there is plurality in every area, because that's the way that God has designed it. Now, I don't have time to read through all of the core values this morning, but what we have done up to this point is each core value that we've come to, we have read the definition that we have for that particular core value. Now, I sort of said this already, but but I want you to understand that we don't feel like we have the corner market on Bible discipleship mission and prayer. Okay, We don't feel like that we're the ones that have the only understanding of these things as core values. And as I think Brad mentioned last week, like these are core values because we see them as core values in Scripture. Okay, So, so these aren't covenant church core values like something we've come up with. This is covenant church submitting to Scripture and walking away with, hey, these are the things that are fundamentally Christian. Like if we're going to call ourselves a Christian church, if we're going to call ourselves Christians, then these things have to be of the utmost importance to us. Missions. This is our definition of missions. The purpose and passion of believers is to be a witness to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now there should be a slide for that, but I want to read it again. The purpose and passion of believers is to be a witness to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, I I hadn't preached in a few weeks, so I'm going to come out of the gate pretty hot here, okay? (laughs) We're breathing today, if, if you're a Christian. You're breathing today. You got out of bed today. And if the Lord wills, you'll do it again tomorrow for one primary purpose. And it is to be a witness to the person of Jesus Christ. That is why we are alive. You can search however you want to, wherever you want to, for a greater purpose to be alive, and you'll fall short. Because there is no greater purpose to be alive than to be a witness to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so when we say mission, 
There are a lot of things that fall under that, and you'll see that as we continue on. But what I want this message to be about is I want us to see what we have in common. I know a lot of you, maybe this may be your first Sunday. I know some of you are not comfortable with, or or maybe not comfortable with Covenant Church, or maybe you're new to how we do things in Covenant Church in general. What, What I want you to see this morning is the commonality. Like our heart's desire is to see people come to a saving faith in Christ. Our heart's desire is not only to see that salvation, but to see that salvation grow through discipleship, which God has ordained through his local church. I think one of the clearest places to see this mission is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you have your Bible or your device, you can go ahead and open that to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5, um, Brandon read from 11 to 21. I'm going to pick up in verse 14. And just a little bit of context, Paul planted this church at Corinth and things are, are, are going a little bit wild there to say the least. And so he's writing this letter back and in this specific section, he's reminding the Christians of why they're alive of why they exist, of why God saved them in the first place. There have been these so-called super apostles that have come in, and they understand and see that this, this Paul, this apostle Paul, has a lot of street cred in Corinth, especially among the believers. And so they are actively trying to undermine the ministry and the words and the teaching of Paul. There's a huge problem with that. And the problem is this. Paul, being an apostle of Jesus Christ, had the very words of Christ. And so Paul, in this larger section, is essentially defending himself, but he's humbly defending himself, saying, hey, you know my boast was never me. My boast has always been and will always be Jesus Christ. So what I'd like for us to do this morning as it relates to mission, first, I want us to see what sustains the mission Second, I want us to see what starts the mission. It may seem backwards, but deal with Paul on that, okay? What starts the mission, and then we'll unpack a little bit about what it means that the mission was started and how it was started, and then we'll close by looking at some of the more practical details of this particular mission that God has called us to. First question, what sustains the mission? Well, it's found in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians chapter five, and it's in the first phrase, for the love of Christ controls us. Some of your translations say that Paul is compelled by the love of Christ. This Greek word means seized, like it's gripped Paul, like Paul is sort of, if you wanna think of it this way, he's in chains, he's in bondage to the love of Jesus. And and so again, he's trying to encourage these Christians to continue on with the mission. And that's part of the purpose of this morning, that we're encouraged to continue on with the mission. And we should go, so so where do we look for hope? Like, where do we look for sustainability? How do we continue? And Paul's answer would be, if we asked him, because Christ loves you. So let's pause. If you said, hey, Paul, look, man, look, okay, Christ loves me, but why are you continuing to suffer, willingly. Go plant a church in a nice, easy suburb, preach the gospel and live a comfortable life. 
Why are you doing this? Why are you so boldly and courageously and fearlessly taking the gospel into places where there's hostility? His answer would be because Christ loves me. We might would answer, or Paul could answer, well, it's because I love the people. I love the church. It's not bad. I love ministry. I love to preach. This could have been Paul's answers. I I love to just communicate the word of God. All of those could have been Paul's answers, but they weren't Paul's answer. Paul's answer to sustainability, like what is it that sustains you, Paul? He would say, Jesus loves me. And when you think about it, what if the sustainability was dependent on our love for people? Yikes. We have one honest man. What if our sustainability was dependent on our willingness to continue on with ministry? What if our sustainability was built around anything about us? How we feel. What we think. How far would we go? I would have already quit. I'm just being honest with you. I don't want to disappoint you. I'm not on the verge. I'm not on the cliff. Chill. It's, it's okay. If you want to counsel, I, I welcome counseling. But, I'm not, but I would have quit. I would have quit. And Paul says, I can have joy in suffering, not because I love you. I can have joy in suffering because Christ loves me. And it wasn't even his love for Christ. Because again, if we're honest, do you always feel like you love Jesus? No. So Paul presses on because Jesus loves him. And how did he come to that conclusion? Well, look at verse 14. He tells us in the end of it, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. So he's come to this conclusion. Like the love of Christ is my sustainability and here's why it is enough that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Here's what Paul could not get over. He never got over until the day that he died and he's still not over it as he celebrates it for eternity. He couldn't get past that Jesus Christ died for him. He couldn't. He never got over it. As he reflected on his former life of rebellion and hatred of God and all-out hatred of Jesus Christ and his work and even the murder of those that proclaimed the beauty of the gospel, he hated them. As he reflected on his life, he knew that there was nothing in and of himself that commended him towards God. But Jesus died for him in that state. Romans 5.8, as God demonstrates his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, and to unpack that even more, and while we were enemies of God, while we were haters of God, Christ died for us. Paul understood that the greatest enemy that human beings have is death. And that when Jesus Christ died in his place, Paul knew that the punishment of his sin, which was death, had been conquered. So even death itself couldn't harm Paul. That love, that expression of love, that demonstration of love gripped Paul, and he never, ever got over it.
So what sustains the mission, if, if you're out here this morning, you're going, I don't want to keep being a Christian husband. I don't want to keep being a Christian wife. I don't want to keep being a Christian dad or a Christian mom. Like, I'm tired of serving in church. Like, I'm tired of the church calling me, asking for help with stuff. Like, I'm just burnt out, and and I'm tired. And you're going, where do I look? Do do I just walk away from it? If you're looking for sustainability, if you want something to hold on to, you need to understand this, that it's not about what you're holding on to. It's about what has you, and it's Christ. So press on. What starts this mission? Let's jump down to verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So we have a clear beginning. There is a beginning to this mission. Now, Paul loves this phrase, in Christ or in him. In fact, he uses it 164 times in his writings. Now, I don't have time to unpack this phrase totally, but it's more than just believing in Christ. It's more than just being saved by Christ. This, this phrase literally means being joined to Christ in one spiritual body so that what is true of him is also true of us. But for the sake of understanding the mission, I think Paul would agree here in that what's, what's synonymous to being in Christ is that we are loved by Christ. And this love that Christ has shown, and and this this is vitally important, this love that Christ has shown has brought about something totally new. Some of you love a good fixer upper project, don't you? A car, a piece of furniture, and I've seen some of your work. Some of you are masterful at rejuvenating something or reviving something. That's not me. Like, if I could afford the new cars, I would get the new cars. I just happen to have to buy fixer-uppers, and then you guys have to fix them up when, when they're messed up. But listen, like, that, that's not the gospel. God is not a fixer-upper. He's not reviving something. He's not brushing the dust off. I know that sounds good, and that might be a way you could sort of describe what the gospel does, but it's not what scripture says the gospel does. It's not a fixer-upper project. What happens when we're in Christ is we're completely and totally new. He goes on to say in verse 14, I'm sorry, not 14, 17, in the, the last sentence of 17, in case we didn't understand, the old has passed away. He's thrown it away. To be more clear, the old died at Calvary. And the only thing that stayed in the tomb was the old. The old you is gone. This is a new thing. It's not not polishing up. It's a completely new thing. How does this happen? How does this happen? Well, the first thing to note in verse 17 is that it's created. Have you, well, let me phrase it this way. How would you feel if you knew something was created and that created thing went around boasting about how they're so glad that they are the way they are and for all the work that they've done in being who they are? You would go, hold on, bro. 
You were created. So I, I get you're excited about being created, but you were created like you didn't do anything. Like if you had to be created, it means first there was nothing. There was no ability. There was no substance. Spiritually speaking, like we come to the table, to the Lord's holy courtroom, and we have nothing to offer. The only thing we bring is the sin. And so it's, it's created. It's the old self that had no ability to do good. The old self that didn't even really have the ability to believe is gone, and this new man has been born. And that's why Paul says, behold, the new has come. It's created, well, the next logical question is who created it? Look at verse 18. Those five words make it plain as day. It says, all this is from, what does it say? God. So how did it happen? It's created. Who did it? God. Now, it is normal, and I say this with great humility. It's normal to be, because I was one, a young believer, and to think that you did it but it's also wrong. Paul is making this emphatically clear. This is from God. Next question, well, how did he do it? Well, look down at verse 18. I don't have to make it up. All this is from God. How did he do it? It's right here. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So how did he do it? Through Christ. It's an important point, I think, to make about reconciliation. Because say, say Brandon and I needed to reconcile. And Brandon wronged me. But we decide we want to be reconciled. In human-to-human reconciliation, almost every time this should happen, if not every time, both parties, even the party that has been wronged, should still evaluate their sin in the situation. How can I move forward with this individual and not harbor bitterness or be angry? And then the one who wronged, of course, has their own sin to evaluate and to apologize for and to try to move forward. So human-to-human -human reconciliation, as beautiful as it is, it's actually different than this reconciliation. Because in this reconciliation, we have the Lord who is not in the wrong. He's never been in the wrong. He hasn't sinned. He hasn't offended. There's one party that's sinned and one party that's offended. The problem in this gospel reconciliation is the party that has offended has no ability to bridge the gap. We can't even initiate or figure out a way to fix it. We can't reconcile, our, reconcile ourselves to God. We're dependent on him reconciling us to himself. You with me? Through Christ. Through Christ. That's God reconciling sinners to himself. Throughout the New Testament, Salvation and reconciliation is communicated as the unassisted work of God. Now, how does this factor into the mission? Well, it gives us hope for the mission. It gives us hope. Listen, he saves. God saves. God saves sinners. And he uses us 
But we shouldn't fret. I think a lot of burnout happens. A lot of people aren't sustained because they go, I've done my best. I've done all I know to do and people aren't getting saved. Preach the gospel. Get up the next day and do the same thing. Trust the Lord to do the work that he has to do. So this is sustained because of the love of Christ. It starts by being in Christ, which is an act of love that is totally from God, created by him, because of him, and through him. Now, in the last part of this text, we see the practical details of the mission. Look with me in verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Now, it's it's interesting how he words this, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, you're not going to be super impressed or scratch your head about this word gave until we talk about this word ministry. This ministry is where we get our word deacon, but what it carries with it is not noble tasks. They're not noble tasks. They're not tasks that'll get you on the news or get you, um, you know, a headline. It's not tasks that typically is in the spotlight. These are menial tasks that often don't result in somebody patting you on the back or saying, at a girl or at a boy. This is more of a lifestyle of humility. It's, it's an esteeming others. It's a way of thinking. It's a giving yourself away for the good of other people. And Paul says this is a gift. This generosity in Covenant Church. Covenant Church. We are sitting in one of the most tangible expressions of gospel generosity that I've ever seen or experienced. That's what this ministry is. It's a giving away. It's a willingness. It's a way of thinking that's otherworldly. Now, verses 15 and 16, I think, give us some clues to how this mindset works. Look at verse 15, and it says, this is picking up mid-sentence, but it says, and he died for all. Listen, that those who live, now, now think about the mindset here, giving yourself away, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. So, so, so what mindset is this? We might say it in this more modern way. It's not about you. When people ask me, hey, why don't you preach all the time? The first thing I think, and I don't always say this, but the first thing that I think is, it's not about me. It's not the Hank show. It's not the Dolan show. It'd be a better show. It's not the Dolan show. Be better than the Hank show for clarity, just saying, not, didn't mean. But listen, listen, it, we want to be about Christ. And so this mindset of the ministry of reconciliation, it, it forces us to think in the way that Paul wants these Corinthians to think. You don't live for yourself. You don't have to. You know why? Because you've already gained infinitely more from Jesus than you could ever gain from living for yourself. So you don't have to be obsessed with you. You can be obsessed with Christ, which will compel you to be obsessed with others. So the first thing is it's not about me. Second clue in verse 16, in this mindset of the ministry of reconciliation, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. What in the world does that mean? We regard no one according to the flesh. This is what he means. He means 
because of the love that he's experienced from Jesus, the people that he looks at, even though he may immediately make an assumption, we do that, yes, immediately make an assumption, or somebody says, I go to this church, we immediately assume something. Somebody, we see the way somebody's dressed, we immediately assume something. We see maybe the color of somebody's skin and we immediately assume something. We see a tattoo on somebody's arm and we immediately assume something. Like we are masters at assuming and thinking that we know things about people that we really don't know. And so Paul says, hey, look, if we're going to be about the ministry of reconciliation, part of that mindset is not only that it's not about you, but it's also understanding that everyone you see is ministry. Again, Paul was hung up. He couldn't, he just couldn't get past the fact that Christ loved him. And that had Christ regarded him according to his flesh, then he would have gotten what he deserved. But he didn't. He didn't. Paul no longer evaluated people based on external worldly standards. And listen, friends. If you're doing that, if you're evaluating people based on external worldly standards, and I mean even in a religious context, you're wrong. It's wrong. We have the responsibility to press in in ministry towards others, even others that we may not think we like or agree with or can't get along with. That's when the gospel shines. It's not gospel to go love people that look like you, talk like you, smell like you, walk like you. It's good. But what shows the gospel is when you have a group of people who are willing to say, it's not about me. It's about making much of Jesus Christ. And the best way for me to do that in this situation is, and you fill in the blank. So, There's a ministry of reconciliation. Before I move on, just a thought here. Do you realize Jesus could have cleaned his disciples' feet without touching them? That would have been tempting. I I mean, maybe my feet, definitely not your feet. But it could have been just this, hey, guys, look down. And Peter's like, my toes don't look like sun chips anymore. My, My feet are clean. But he didn't do that. Why didn't he do that? Why didn't he do that? Why did the most entitled, privileged being, the the King of kings and the Lord of lords, why did he get on his knees and put his hands on physical feet that were dirty, feet that he created, to show us as a demonstration of what he's called us to? This is the ministry of of reconciliation. It's not just a ministry though. There's also a message of reconciliation. Look in verse 19. It says that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself. All right, so if you're if you're not accustomed to me preaching to you, I usually give a heads up when you're supposed to say amen. We're coming up on one. All right. Here we go. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. It's more than a ministry, it's a message. It's a message with words, and it's a message that's meant to be 
spoken so that it can be heard, so that there can be faith. You go, all right, Paul, it's a message. What's the message? Well, look at verse 21. For our sake, he, the Father, made him the Son. To be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And Paul says this message has been entrusted to us. This word literally means planted. It burned in Paul's bones. You remember the prophet Jeremiah, he said that. He he, he said those words. The word of the Lord is like a fire in my bones. And what he means by that is that he can't help but proclaim it. The mission of the church is not only the ministry of reconciliation. Look, I get it. I understand the sentiment. It's, it's cute when we say, hey, share the gospel, use words if necessary. That's not true. The gospel is a message made up of words that's meant to be proclaimed, and without it, there is no salvation. Do the ministry, but it's not mutually exclusive to the message. The purpose is to get to the message of the gospel so that it can be heard and it can be believed. But, but, like Jeremiah, and be honest, does this message burn in you? Do you feel like you can't go a day without telling someone? Do you feel a sense of urgency in the fact that you lock eyes with people that if they don't believe this message, they're going to spend eternity away from the Father? Or do much lesser things wow you? I find myself more enthusiastic at times about things way less important than the gospel. I find myself eager to communicate things that are way less important than the gospel. Now again, don't don't take this to some extreme. I'm just simply asking you, are you aware? Like it doesn't mean don't talk about football, don't talk about the weather, like that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, is there an awareness, is there an eagerness in you to get to a place where you can look someone in the eyes and say, do you know Jesus Christ? This message of the gospel that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we can receive his righteousness. It has been entrusted to us. Entrusted, if you're a Christian, this message has been entrusted to you. As a Christian church, we have to understand this message is our boast. It's what we're about. And it has been entrusted to us. Lastly, we have sort of a summary of the mission. We see it in verse 20, therefore, Here's the summary. We are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador does not speak to please his audience. An ambassador speaks to please the king who sent him or her. 
An ambassador does not speak on his own authority. In fact, to a good ambassador, his or her own opinions or demands mean little. An ambassador simply says what they've been commissioned to say. And Paul says to the Corinthians, you're alive today. You have blood pumping through your body and air in your lungs for this purpose, to be ambassadors for Christ. And there's not another way. Does that make sense? There's not another way that God is doing it. This is the way. This is what he's ordained. And this is how the message spreads through his ambassadors. I want to close with just this thought that that, that I think can help maybe put in us this this fire for the gospel. And and it's listed, it's, it's mentioned a few times here. And in verse 11, Paul says, we persuade others. If you look down at verse 20, he says, we implore you on behalf of Christ. If you look down at chapter 6, Verse 1, he says, working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. And so you have this appeal, you have this imploring, we have this persuading. And and the, the argument that he's built here is that when we go out as ambassadors, when we go out proclaiming the message of reconciliation and live out the ministry of reconciliation, we are making an appeal to the world to come to Jesus. We are imploring the world to come to Christ. But the argument goes this way and should be understood this way is that it's not us wanting to persuade. It's not us imploring. It's God through us making his appeal. And it's worth pausing there. The sovereign king of the universe has to persuade? Why don't he just decree? He could do it. I don't have all the answers. I do believe God is 100% sovereign in every way you could imagine. But I also see in scripture that one of the ways he's chosen to draw people to himself is through persuasion. It's not a frantic, doubtful persuasion. But it helps us to understand this mission and our role in it because maybe if you're a Christian the whole time you thought, well, it was the preacher's oracle skills that that's the reason people were saved. Or the musician's notes, or the fact that we sang another stanza, or the, the author's writing ability, that was what finally convinced me that I needed to be saved. Or you might even be uh, in a place enough to say, it was my intellect. I, I finally got smart enough, and that's why I responded to the gospel. When it wasn't the preacher, it wasn't the musician, it wasn't the author, it wasn't your intellect. The whole time, it was God himself drawing near and invading our hearts in a way that birthed a love for him that can never be stripped away. 
I, I bring this out because I think it helps us understand how intensely personal God is. That if you're a Christian this morning, it's because God himself reached down with the holiest of hands into your rotten, sinful heart and made it new. And so as we move forward, as Covenant Church, in this mission, with the ministry of reconciliation and the message of reconciliation, our charge this morning is to be faithful. It's not to get hung up on secondary things. There's, there's so many distractions and so many things that are good things, but they're not this. There's so many things that we get excited about and bad about and celebrate and happy and sad about that, that aren't necessarily bad things, but they're not this. And so you have our commitment, you have my commitment that these things will remain primary. We've got to deal with some of those other things. But the lesser things are never, ever, 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 Lord willing, going to find themselves as primary. And I want to ask you to do the same. I want to ask you as an individual to evaluate your heart. All of us, starting with me. And as we think about our mission together as a church, and we clearly see in the word what we're called to and what God has, as he were, as Paul words it, given us this ministry and this privilege to serve him, is the gospel primary? If you would bow your heads. I don't ever want to assume. We'd like to thank you for listening to the sermon audio from Covenant Church at Tuscaloosa. If you have any questions or would like to know more about our church, you can visit our website at www.covchurchtusk.com or you can email info at covchurchtusk.com. God bless.